Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Love it, love it, love it, love it. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors around here at LifePoint. And man, today has been a great day so far. Thank you for being here, especially if you're a guest. Man, you have made our day, I promise you, by by being here, and we hope you've been warmly welcomed, got coffee, and uh, enjoyed the worship set so far. So we're glad you're here. Um, real quickly, i got to reiterate something you just heard. Um, every year in January and August, our church enters into a time of prayer, 21 days. This year is a little different because we're going into a brand new season uh, that we've never been in before, and that is we're going to move into a brand new building this fall. Yeah, amen, somebody. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we've been renting this space for the last five years. We've loved being here. It's been fantastic. But we, it's not our home. It's, it's, uh, it's been great, but we're ready to get our own space, and that's going to happen. And we just believe that God's going to do incredible things in this new space, that, uh, and it's going to give us the opportunity to do things we've never been able to do before. And so we want to just cover that time with prayer uh, more than even normal. So we're going to do something, again, we've never done, and we're going to offer prayer in this building Monday through Friday from 6 to 7. You don't have to come for all of that. You don't have to come for any of it. But if you are, if you are a person of prayer, if you believe in the power of prayer, then we're going to invite you to come. We are going to uh, connect with hundreds of churches all across the country. There's a church called Church of the Highlands. It's in Birmingham, Alabama. It's the church that we sort of model ourselves after in, uh, in various ways. Um, and they broadcast their prayer services throughout all of the country, and people all over the country, churches large and small, uh, join with them in prayer, and it's going to be fantastic, and we're going to do that Monday through Friday. On Saturdays, we will have our own prayer gathering just with us, and then on Sundays, of course, we'll gather to worship. And so this Saturday, uh, in our space, as you just heard, we're going to pray together down there. Uh, there's parking there now. We didn't used to have a parking lot, so we never really did much there. But we actually have a parking lot there now, and uh, it's awesome, and that's cool. <clears throat> and uh, we don't have an auditorium there yet. It's our, you can see where the auditorium is going to be. You can see where all the rooms are going to be. Everything's got at least studs around it, and some of it's got a lot of it's got sheetrock around it now. And uh, we're just going to gather in that lobby, whoever wants to come, and we're going to pray over that space and just ask God to show up and, in that place and be awesome as he already is. So... Thank you again for being here. I'm going to jump right into the message uh, today. Uh, I want to talk to you today uh, about this word grace, um, and specifically this idea that Jesus is uh, a God of grace. You know, grace is an amazing word, and probably one of the great songs, certainly one of the great Christian hymns of all time, is a song called Amazing Grace. Um, you've all heard about this. Even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a believer, you've heard somebody somewhere talk about amazing grace. And it goes like this, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, ready, that saved a, a wretch like me. Think about what you're saying right there. We're all saying, hey, I'm a wretch. Um, but, right, it's like, what, what? What's this, that's the old song calling a, me a wretch for, right? Well, you actually, when you sing it, you're calling yourself a wretch. That's kind of a good thing. You're like, well, what does that mean? Is a wretch a good thing or a bad thing? I wretched once. Uh, that wasn't good, right? Um, is that the same thing? No, it's not the same thing, but it's just a grand old word. There, there are other words that say like uh, a, a worker of iniquity or a, a transgressor or a, or a wretch, all kind of old style words describing people who are far uh, from, from God. Whatever the, the case, the song says it's grace. It's grace that saved us. Um, it's grace that taught my heart to feel. It's amazing grace. Now, 
It's kind of unusual because when you study the Bible, when you study the New Testament in particular, the Gospels, the first four books of the Bible, these are the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These are the accounts of the, of the life of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, the things that he said, the things that he did. And one of the puzzling things is the word grace is almost non-existent in those first four books of the Bible. Matter of fact, it's only there four times. And three of those times are found within three verses in one chapter of the, of the Gospel of John. It's, it's in the book of Hebrews. It's in the, the letters that Paul wrote. Peter wrote us some letters. There, it's in there. Um, even John's letters, it's there. But not Jesus never uses the word. So if Jesus has come to bring a new era of grace, it was the Old Testament, was the law. Now he's bringing an era of the New Testament, the new covenant of grace. Why doesn't he use the word? Let's see if we can make sense of this, and then let's get clear about grace. In John, John, John's gospel, John chapter 1, verse 14, I think is one of the great texts in all the Bible. And, and, and John says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, he says. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only who came from the Father, full of, ready, grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Now, when John says that the Word became flesh, he's talking about Jesus. That God became a man, and he became flesh, and he made his dwelling. He, he came near, he came down to hang out with us, and he came from the Father, and he came full of grace and truth. In other words, John's saying, hey, listen, we, we've seen him. We're, this is not a story, this is not a fairy tale with our own eyes, we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. We saw him, and it came full of grace and truth. And, and it's important to notice that grace and truth are together, and oftentimes you'll see that grace and truth together because you really can't separate grace and truth. There are a lot of people who just want to talk about grace without telling you the truth about our souls and the state of our souls and the condition of our sins. And there's some people who just want to talk to you about truth and tell you how bad of a person you are and how whatever, and you, you can't do one without the other. You need them both because Jesus came here full of grace and truth. So he didn't literally, he didn't teach so much using the word grace. He just literally personified it. He exemplified it. And, 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 and he, made, he made it his business to exemplify to people what grace was. And he did it in such a way that he did it in, in ways that were better than any other words could ever be. Jesus is grace. So today, I want us to get real clear on grace. I want to just sort of take a, a stab at helping us uh, get clear on grace. And by the way, stab's a great grace word. Amen? Somebody like, stab on grace. Yeah. Now, when we talk about grace, I think it's super important that we get very clear on a few terms that sort of lead us to grace. Two words I want to give you. Um, to sort of to st stair-step us to grace. The first word is this word called justice. Justice, it's where right is done. It's where when things are in, uh, unjust, somebody comes in and pays the price and makes things just, makes things fair, makes things right. In our world, there's a lot of injustice, right? We know that. In our society, there's some injustice. And justice is, is a word all throughout the Bible. So let me just start with a kind of one-sentence uh, statement on justice. It is, it is getting precisely what you deserve. So 
let's just say there's a law of the land, there's laws in San Antonio, and if you break the law, there is going to be, uh, hopefully, all right, especially when people break the law in bad ways, there's hopefully going to be justice meted out to them, and they're going to get precisely what they deserve. So as an example, and I've used this example before, uh, let's say you're driving today home from here, and you start speeding, and you go like 30 miles an hour over the speed limit, an officer pulls you over, he writes you a ticket, a few weeks later, you got to go see the judge, or you got to go pay the ticket, whatever the case is, and the judge says, hey, that's going to be $275. I just looked it up before, and that's how much it's going to be, by the way. <laughs> and, and when the judge says, hey, you're going to go pay over there in this little room, is the judge being mean and nasty when he says to you, you got to go pay $275? No, he's not mean. He's just giving you justice, exactly what the law prescribes for you to have to pay. That's, that's called justice. You, get, you, you pay what you deserve, nothing more or nothing less. If you have to pay more than you deserve, that's called injustice, right? Now, if you pay less than you have to deserve, that's the second word. That's called mercy, right? And, and if justice is, is us getting exactly what we deserve, then mercy is getting a little less punishment, a little less retribution than we deserve. We don't deserve this leniency, but... But, but somebody gives it to us, that's, that's mercy. So you, you, you got caught going 30 miles and over the speed limit. You come to the judge that day, and the, the, the ticket says 275, and the judge, he played a good round of golf that morning. He's in a good mood. And he's like, you know what? Let's just have you pay $125. I'm, I'm in a good mood. And now he's just given you mercy or leniency. That's mercy, little less. Psalm, the psalmist uh, says in Psalm 103, verse 8, he says, Our Lord, this is a great, by the way, great explanation of who God is. Our, our Lord is merciful and compassionate, and he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in loving kindness. And then in verse 10, it says, God does not repay us according to or in full measure um, according to our sins. Do, do you know what that means is that God doesn't, throughout the course of a week, as, as, as you and I make mistakes and we have the wrong thoughts or the wrong attitudes or we're driving down the road and somebody cuts us off and so we rave the right hand of fellowship at them, but it's not a hand. You guys know what I'm talking about right now? And, 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 and God does not, in that moment, he does not lightning bolt us or jolt us a little bit or smack us one for every time we sin. If he, if he smacked us around for every time we sinned, how many of you know we'd all show up to church black and blue? Come on, right? We'd just be like beat up, right? It's me, God. I'm the one that did it. Look, I'm black and blue, right? And now listen now. It's his mercy that spares us that. It's his compassion. It's his loving kindness that spares us that. So you got justice and you got mercy, but now grace comes along. And Jesus brings grace to the table. And it's something, it's something altogether different. Grace, grace is so amazing when you understand what it really is. It's so amazing that it almost sounds too good to be true. And it kind of messes with our sense of the way things ought to be, particularly when other people receive grace and we don't think they deserve it, right? There, there is no equivalent where grace is concerned. If you look throughout the world's great religions, most of them are based on some semblance of karma, right? That your, your pile of good better outweigh your pile of bad at the end of the day, and if it's not, man, you're going to wherever their bad place is, 
right? That's, that's the world of religions. Nobody, nobody has grace except for the way of Jesus, right? Grace is birthed from a kind of hopeless inequity, meaning that no matter how hard I try, no matter how long I work at it, I will never be on the right side of the ledger when it comes to the good and the bad things that I have done in my life. I'll never get it. And God knew this from centuries of watching his chosen people, the nation of Israel, his family, his flock, if you will. They were trying to obey the law, the Old Testament. They were trying to obey all those rules, all those regulations. And for centuries, they were failing time after time after time after time. If you lost your... Okay, anyways, I don't know. I just came to me while I was saying that. I've been in some 80s music hit, right, going recently. And so, little, uh, little what's that girl's name? Cindy Lauper, thank you very much. That lady, right? Now I just know her as the chick on the uh, acne commercial. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, it's, she's there. Grace. Oh, yeah, I was trying to figure out what I was talking to. So God saw these people fail centuries and centuries. And this is why in John chapter 3 it says that God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, even though that's what we deserved, but that through him, through Jesus, the world might be saved. Jesus is grace. So then grace is the offer of exactly what we do not deserve. I don't deserve grace. I understand this. I've gotten clear on this. But, but here's the sort of caveat within grace. We can never recognize it for the incredible gift that it is until we are absolutely aware of how undeserving we really are. Right? As long as I think that I can you know, have grace to save me, but then I can be good enough to take me the rest of the way, I'll never understand, live in, and receive God's grace in the way that I can. So there's justice there's mercy, and there's grace. And grace is on a how-never level. Y'all know what I'm saying? Than justice or, or mercy. But to truly understand it, we have to go back to justice, which is me getting precisely what I deserve as the breaker of the rules and of the law. Okay, now I'm going to get a little bit uncomfortable for a minute. All right? I'm not, but you are because of what I'm going to say. Right? And I'm going to be uncomfortable because of what I say, too. We're going to get right down to it. Do you, do you know what it is that we deserve according to the word of God? Do you know what it is that we deserve? Do you know what is just when it comes to you and I based on our track record? Paul tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, which means an eternal separation from God. Like we have no right to be in, in fellowship or in connection with God because of our sin. That's the price. That's what is, 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 is justice when it comes to us. Other passages of Scripture throughout the Bible tells you that when we commit a sin, when we, what we deserve, what I deserve, is, is, is immediate retribution, chastisement, the wrath of God poured out towards us, towards sin. That's what we deserve. That's what the Bible says. The scripture says that every single time that we sin against God, he would not be mean or nasty or out of line to separate me from him for the rest of my life because that's the holiness of God, the justice of God. It's, it's, it's part of who he is, that, that sin offends him deeply. And you need to know that, by the way, that he doesn't wink and nod at sin. It offends him. It offends the sensibilities, the holiness of God. And he wouldn't be out of line, and he wouldn't be mean and nasty. He would just simply be just. Do you know what we deserve? Well, let's take the Ten Commandments. 
Commandment number one. Put no put God first in your life is what it says. You should have no other gods before me. Put God first. Let me ask you a question. And I'm asking myself this question. Have you in every situation, in every season, every crossroads, every decision of your life, have you put God first in your life? I'll answer it for you and for me, no. Let's take another one. Honor your father and mother. Have you all throughout your life honored your mom and dad perfectly every single time in your whole life? All the parents will be like, no, you haven't. And then your parents will go, oh, wow, really? Neither have you. And we'd all be pointing the pointy finger of shame and guilt and horror at each other. I don't know what horror means. I think it's horror, but I just went with horror. Anyways. Right, that's what we, okay, you haven't done that either, right? But let's take thou shalt not steal. Wouldn't it be kind of cool if everything that we have collectively stolen throughout our lives, every pencil we borrowed, all the pens that, that my staff has borrowed from my office, just because <laughs> I like the good kind of pens. Anyways, um, like, like all of the tools that you borrowed from Uncle Johnny that you have still haven't yet returned, you forgot to return, all of the, the office stuff that materialized into your home office. Come on, y'all, with me. What if it all just showed up on the stage all at one time right now? Whoosh! It'd be the sweetest garage sale ever. Like, we're raising money for the church right now, you know what I'm saying? I don't know why I went with that voice, but there it is. How about this one? You shall not commit adultery, Right? Anybody here in thought or indeed done any sexual sins, don't raise your hand. It's not that kind of question, right? What, what about the last commandment? Thou shalt not covet. Shall not be jealous about anybody else's stuff. Like some of you right now have this new iPad. I just got it. Like you're coveting my iPad. Stop coveting my stuff, man. What's wrong with you people? It's mine. You know what I'm saying? How many of you on further review now have ever, don't raise your hand, have you, have you ever violated one of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, if I ask you to raise your hand, probably anybody who wasn't lying would raise your hands right now, right? So just to be technical here, do you know what we deserve? Do you know what we deserve? We deserve immediate retribution for every violation of the will and the way of God and separation from God in this life and the next. The wages of sin is death. That's simply what we deserve. And God would not be mean and nasty if that's what he gave us. The truth is that there is no righteousness, which just means a right standing with God. There is no righteousness apart from that which is extended to us by the cross of Jesus Christ, by grace. How can I, as a sinner, I know who I am. I'm a sinner, right? A a a an unrighteous person. How can I stand before a holy and righteous God and not be condemned to hell? How can that happen, right? God is perfect. I'm imperfect. God is righteous. I'm unrighteous. God is good. I'm not. God is sinless. I'm sinful. How can I possibly expect to stand before a holy God someday in judgment and expect anything but condemnation, wrath, and hell? The answer is every time that Jesus is grace, and that's what he came to bring to us when he came to this earth. There is only one power in the universe that can liberate us from the power and the penalty of sin, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody? And he has come to find us, and he has come to forgive us, and he has come to free us. Now, 
I want to give you a definition of grace from Philip Yancey, who wrote a book that's amazing, and much of, that, uh, much of this idea has come from this book, as a matter of fact. He says that grace means that there is nothing that we can do to make God love us more. That none of our striving, none of our working hard, none of our rules abiding will make God love us any more than he already does. And, and that grace means that there's nothing that we can do to make God love us less. That grace means that God already loves us as much as is possible for an infinite God to love us. And there's nothing that we can do, either good or bad, that can change that. And so the thing about Jesus is that he, while he did not come using the word grace uh, when he came to teach, he, he, using the terminologies that we use, he tended to st- tell stories that demonstrated his grace. And then the other way that he would do this is that he would have one-on-one interactions with the woman at the well, the woman caught in the act of adultery, Zacchaeus, uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He would have these grace encounters where he would show us this. But he would do this often in parables, these stories that he would make up to teach a a biblical truth. So then Jesus, in what may have been his most memorable, his most unforgettable parable that he ever told, he tells the story of a father of a broken home and a child who, a son who has run away, that the son has utterly rejected his father, utterly rejected his home turned his back on his father, the place of his birth. And we wonder, how can a son do this to his father? Well, I know how it can happen. We're all born knowing how to sin. How many of you parents had to teach your kids how to sin? Like, come over here, Johnny. I want to teach you how to bite this little kid today at daycare. Right? Come over here, Susie. I want to tell, teach you how to lie by the age of two, which is about when they learn how to lie. Come on, can I get a good witness on that? Right? You didn't have to teach them that. They just know it. Hey, baby girl, come over here, and I want to teach you how to throw a fit in Target so you can make me look like a terrible parent right here in front of everybody. <laughs> Several years ago, my youngest, Naomi, she's third, well, about to be 13 in September. She was, about, I think, about three years old, and it was during the Christmas season we do this program every year called Light Your World where we buy hundreds and hundreds of gifts and give them away to these kids who are in the margins, who are sort of under-resourced. And we had forgotten a, a, a kid's presence, and so I ran quickly with her to Target to buy some stuff for this kid that we, we had missed up, messed up. Somebody didn't buy them enough or whatever it was. And so I'm, I'm running her around. I got her like in the chair, you know, with her feet dangling around. And she's like, Dad, please, let's go look at the toys. No, baby girl, I don't have time for that. Please, Dad, please, please, please can we go look at the toys? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. No, no, baby, I have to do this. And I put it right here, and I'm looking for the right size. And all of a sudden, Naomi goes, he's not my dad. Help. He's not my dad. Stop it. What is wrong with you, child? Help. He's not my dad. I'm in Alamo Ranch at Target. <laughs> it's okay. It's really, look at us. We look alike, except she's pretty and I'm not. I didn't have to teach her this. She learned how to sin so she could try to get her own way with me. I later took her to the toilet. He's like, okay, come on. <laughs> you don't have to teach him how to sin. And this boy, this boy in Jesus' story, he does this. He goes to his father and says, basically, listen, you're taking forever to die. I want my inheritance now, right? I can't wait until you get on over to the other side, right? 
give me my money now. And for reasons I don't understand, the father says, okay. So this boy takes all that money. And the Bible says he goes off to a distant land. And one translation says he lives wildly. Another one says he lived riotously. And after all the money was gone, there was an economic downturn apparently. And and there's a famine in the land. And he winds up with no place to stay. He winds up with nothing to eat. Somebody lets him slop the pigs, feed the pigs, and then he's tempted. He's so hungry, is he, that he's tempted to eat, but he's feeding the pigs. And then in Jesus' story in Luke 15, there's this neat little phrase, verse 17. It says, then he came to his senses. He had this epiphany. The kid says, you know what? I've really fouled up, and I'm no longer worthy to be called my father's son. I've sinned against him. I've sinned against heaven and earth. Do you know what this phrase means? It means that the kid figures out exactly what he deserves. He got clear. He he sorted out what justice was in regards to his situation. He understands that my behavior And you can tell it from the speech that he's preparing to say to his father when he sees him. You can tell this. My behavior warrants me being disowned by my father. My behavior warrants my father shunning me as his son for the rest of my life. I have blown it big time. I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against earth, against my father, against my family. I know what I deserve. Separation from my family for the rest of my life. I realize what's at stake for me. He got clear. He came to his senses. Oh, wow, what have I done? So it's very important to the story. We'll cycle back to it in a minute. But then as he's coming to his senses, as he's sorting out the status that he's currently in now, he gets just this this merest hint of hope inside of his heart. And he says, "But, but you know what? Maybe if I go home and I owned up to what I've done, and I admit that I know what I deserve, maybe my dad will extend to me a little mercy and make me a servant. I have a clip here I want you to see from the perspective of the father and the son. Check it out real quick. I saw the look in his eyes. He was searching for a prize. Worthy of his strength, worthy of his life. In a world full of shiny things, hope that he'd see his name burning bright up high in the city night. And that's when he came to me. Father, won't you give me what is due to me? I gotta go now, time for me to get out of this small town. Time for me to live my life, my way, my dreams. It's my right. I know that I gotta dance with the city and own the night. Got to find someone pretty and toast the wine. Got to live for the moment. Got to get what's mine. I got to live for the moment. I got to shine. I stood right beside him, watched him pack his things. Watched him walk out the door with his hopes and dreams. I pray my best prayer for him every night I sleep. I pray my best prayer for him, yet my soul it weeps. Day after day and week after week, I can still hear his laugh and I can still hear him speak. I remember the day that I had a son. I remember our joy and I remember our fun. Weeks turned to months and months turned to years. 
The hope of my thoughts now consider the fear. Wonder if he's doing well. Maybe he's found a girl. Maybe he got stuck in jail. Maybe he's been shot and killed. I don't know, but I'd give all that I own just to hold my son again. The tears and the blood that I spent. The nails in my hands and my wrists. To cover the sin and the pain that you're in. To give you my peace that you might love to repent. I place a kiss on his cheek and a crown on his head. Just to know that my son's not dead. And if you spend all your gold and you're lost and you're cold, just come home. Just come home. Come home. Just come home. So he heads home, knowing what he deserves, justice, but he's just hoping for a little mercy. And as he's going down that road and he sees his dad, the first thing he does when he sees his dad is he starts into a speech. Dad, I know what I deserve. I, I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And, and he doesn't even have a chance to get to, would you just give me a bunk in, in, with the hired hands? And, and, what? and you know what happens? His father comes running to him. And by the way, this is the only time you see a picture of a God who will run to his lost sons and his daughters. And the first thing he does when his dad sees him is his dad just spills grace all over him. And you know what's going through his, his dad's mind? Son, I know what you deserve. I know what you did. But I'm going to do one step better than mercy. I'm going to do something better than the bunkhouse. I'm going to restore you completely. And he just dumps a big old pile of grace on this young man. And he puts his arms around the kid and he says, welcome home. Here's, here's, here's my, your ring back and here's some new sandals and here's a new robe. And we're going to throw a party that our family has never seen before. We're going to kill the fatted calf, the thing that we've been saving for the biggest party because that day has come. And he just wraps his arm around this kid. Bring it in, son. Bring it in. And he just spills grace after grace after grace. And the wayward son knew what it is that he deserved. And he could only hope for a little bit of mercy. And grace blew his mind. Because when you understand what you deserve, and still what is on offer through Jesus, grace will blow your mind. And this story represents the most accurate picture of God, perhaps, in all of the New Testament, that Jesus came bringing grace, that people can get confused about who God is based on religion. Some of them have him as the angry cop waiting around the corner to catch you speeding. But Jesus came so that we could get a clear picture of a God and, and who he is and what he thinks about us. Yes, even when we are the wayward son. You know, for me, it makes no sense. That the father lets him come home and regain his position in the family. And this story is just one of three things that Jesus tells of, 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 a, of a sheep that gets lost and of coins that get lost. And in each case, at the end of the story, when the thing that is lost gets found, he says that heaven throws a huge party over one sinner, one person who's disconnected from God when they come home. And Jesus is making the point that when the lost are found, 
You guys can start playing there if you don't mind. Heaven throws a big celebration. Whenever a lost person repents, spontaneous partying breaks out in heaven. Whenever guilt is kissed away by God's grace, the angels go wild. That's how important a thing coming home is. It's like Jesus is saying with this story, do you know what it feels like to be me? That when, a, when, when one of my sons or when one of my daughters who's wandered off the path comes back, it feels like I've rediscovered, rediscovered my most valuable possession, which has been lost but is now found. We throw a heaven-sized party, Jesus says. You know, for me, it's strange, this story and the Gospels. They're not anything like what I would have conjured up based on what I know. I would have expected, because there's two sons in the story, I would have expected that the father throws a party for the, the quote, perfect son, the good one over the rebellious one. I would expect to have, have to have a get it all right before I could ask God to have a conversation with me, but instead we see Jesus blowing off the fancy, sort of perfect religious folk uh, to go hang around with ordinary people, sinners, who just say, hey, I, I don't have it all together. And throughout the pages of your Bible, you'll find that God would rather show up and hang out with real people than he would the so-called perfect people. Th think about Jesus' crucifixion because he's not there alone. There's somebody on his right and somebody on his left. And there's a thief on the cross, and he, and he says to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, would you remember me when you get to your kingdom? This is, a, this is probably a murderer. This is definitely a thief. This is a person who justice is being meted out righteously. He's, he deserves to be there. Jesus doesn't, but this guy does. And Jesus says, hey, I'll see you later in my kingdom. I'll see you later in heaven. You're going to be with me. How is that possible? All of these years of doing the wrong thing and in a split second. Hey, you know what? Yeah, because you believe in me, because you trust me, you're going to be here all because of grace. And that act reminds us that grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather what God has done for us through Jesus. In Jesus Christ, we have a God who loves so deeply, so authentically, that he went to the extreme of incarceration and rejection and crucifixion and suffering and death and separation and a grave and mutilation for all of mankind. That this is the same God who, who, who the Bible says is not willing that anybody should perish. That nobody should have to pay the price of sin, which is death. But that all would come to repentance, that all would turn around and put their faith and their trust and their hope in Jesus. This same God who helped people lacking with faith by picking up the slap. The same God who helped a murdering bandit on the cross. A too short Zacchaeus by walking closer to the tree. And an adulterous woman, he got between her and her lynch mob. This is the gospel of grace. God coming near. God seeing us, sin and all. No doubt caught in our sins. Hopeless to do anything about them. But he comes near to forgive us of those things. And to give us new life in his name. And you can't earn that. And you can't be good enough to get it. You can't try hard enough. It's just grace. Amazing grace. I wonder what grace might say to us today in this room. I think... For those of us who are trying so hard to get it all right and to obey all the rules, and I'm not saying that there's wrong with that, but we're trying to do it 
we're trying to get holy and righteous on our own efforts. I, I think grace would say, stop, stop. You don't have to try to be any more successful than you are right now. You don't have to win any more than you've already won. You don't have to be any more talent. You don't have to be any better looking than you are. As a matter of fact, all those things are really just gifts of grace anyway. None of of it's worthy of being boasted about. It's not bad to succeed. It's not bad to win. It's not bad to be smart or talented. God can use all those things, but they will never save you. I think grace would say, hey, why don't you just check out of the performance culture that your world has become? And why don't you just lean into me? when you wake up in the morning there's grace and when you go to sleep at night there's grace and when you make a mistake there's grace and when you find a, and when the doctor says hey it's bad there's grace there's grace and it's enough I read a story about a pastor who went to the funeral of a friend he was a staff pastor on a church his father had passed away he said there were three grown men three grown sons in the family and and, and all of them stood up and honored their dad in a way that he said he had never heard before. They didn't deify him. They just blessed him. They remembered him. They honored him. And the pastor got up afterwards and said that three men's grown dad had been a milkman for, for 40 years. And he'd gotten up at 4 a.m. six days a week for 40 years. And so the pastor asked the dad before he passed, man, why did you do that? Why did you work that job? Why did you work so hard? And his answer was, he said, so that my three boys didn't have to. So I could provide them with an education. So I could provide them with new opportunities that I never had. I did that so they didn't have to. You know, in my mind, the Bible says one day we're going to see Jesus as he is. Holes in his hand, wound in his side. And I'm going to think, and I think of it right now. Why, why did you take all of that scorn? Why did you take all of that shame? Why did you take all of that abuse? What, they plucked your beard. They beat your back. They pummeled your face. They pressed a crown of thorns on your forehead. Why did you let them strip you down and put you on that cross and make you carry it up that hill? Why did you let them pound the nails through your hands and through your feet? Why did you, you allow yourself to die such an excruciating death? Why did you do that? You know what he would say to us? So that you didn't have to. So you didn't have to pay the price that justice demands. I paid it for you. I stood in your place. Somebody had to. And I did it so that you wouldn't have to. That's grace. You know, some of us don't understand grace just yet because we say, Danny, you don't know the kind of life I live. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I just did. You don't know the roads that I've walked. You don't know the dark things that I've done, the places that I've been. And I want to just tell you, it doesn't matter. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what your brokenness is. I don't care what your pain or your shame is. There is no sin that grace cannot cover, and it comes to us all through Jesus. If we could just uh, bow our heads and just pray for a moment. And I would just challenge anybody who would say, you know what, Danny? I'm, I'm, I'm in need of a rescue in my life. I'm clear about the fact that I've tried my life my own way. And it's gotten me into a lot of hurt and a lot of heartache. And I just want to invite Jesus to be my rescuer, to be my savior, to be my redeemer. So, Lord, we just come to you in this space.
Thank you for grace, God. You didn't have to do what you did. You didn't have to pay that price. But thank you. You did it so that I didn't have to. And God, many of us are in this space today and maybe we've never bowed our knee. Maybe we've never given our hearts to you. Maybe we're still the sun out trying to figure it all out on our own. But today we realize we got, we've gotten clear where we're at. We want to come home. And we see in your story, God, a picture of a God who comes running to where we are the moment, the very moment that we turn. The very moment that we say, I don't want to do this this way. And the moment that we turn and point our faces back towards him, he comes running to where we are to rescue us. So God, we just come to you with our brokenness and our pain and our shame and our guilt and whatever it is that we're carrying around this morning. Would you say, Lord, would you be my father? Would you be my savior? Would you be the forgiver of my sins? I bring you my hurt, my pain, my brokenness. I give it to you, Lord. And in exchange for that, you say, you're going to put a new robe on. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna dress me in your righteousness. I won't have to stand before God in my own righteousness, my own rightness, but I get to stand before him in yours. You were perfect. I'm not. You were perfectly holy. You never made a mistake, and I've made a lot of them. But because of you, I can stand before God knowing that I don't stand in my own self, but I stand in your righteousness. Would you be my Lord? Would you come live in my heart, I pray. In Jesus' name. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.